0: Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to be back with you this week. As Kyle said, we're finishing up this series we began three weeks ago Titled, Jesus and We. And in this series, we've been looking at some, some values that, that we embrace here at Family Church. And the operative word in that statement is we. This, this, these are values that, that we embrace. First, as, as a Jesus follower, but then as this church corporately together as we fulfill the great commission of reaching the one Those who are lost or far from God. And since the title of this series is Jesus and We, I've been introducing each of these different values using that pronoun, we. On week one, we began the series, we talked about one of our core values here at Family Church is having faith. But not just faith, but big faith, big faith. And and the big idea for that message was we are faith-filled, big thinking, bet the farm risk takers who will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. Week two, we talked about serving, and and the big idea from that message had, had both kind of a positive and negative implication. The negative implication was we are not spiritual consumers, but we are spiritual contributors. Why? Because the church does not exist for us, but we are the church and we exist for the world. Okay, so then having spent the first two weeks kind of in- introducing these values by what we are, we kind of shifted gears last week for the second part of the series and focused more on what we will do based on what we are. And then last week, Kyle knocked it out of the park again with a message on authentic relationships, how, how together we make up the body of Christ, and as the body of Christ, as the church, the big idea there was we will pursue authentic relationships knowing that when you share joy, it's multiplied, and when you share pain, it's divided. See, God did not give us a small commission, but a great commission to go into all the world and preach the good news of Christ's love and grace, which leads us to this fourth and final value that we embrace here at Family Church, which is when it comes to the lost, when it comes to those who are far from God, when it comes to the one that Jesus referred to in the parable of the lost sheep, here at Family Church, we will do anything short of sin to reach the people who don't know Christ. Why? Because to reach the people no one is reaching, we will do those things that no one is doing. This morning, as we conclude this series, we're going to talk about the value of people, more specifically, the value of reaching people who are, who are far from God or who are lost. A few years ago, a popular radio talk show host in Phoenix, a guy by the name of Pat McMahon, who I'd never heard of, but apparently he has a nationwide syndicated program, he was able to get an exclusive interview with Mother Teresa just not just a few months before she passed away. At the conclusion of that interview, the radio host, this Pat McMahon, was so impressed and inspired, he told her that he wanted to do something for her. He said, he said I'd just like to help you in some way. What can I do? And this is what Mother Teresa told him. He said, she said, tomorrow morning, get up at 4 a.m. and go to downtown Phoenix, find some homeless person living on the streets who believes they're all alone and convince them that they're not. That's a pretty insightful answer, isn't it? In other words, what she was saying, what Mother Teresa was telling him was, go find someone who's far from God and bring them close to God. That's what she was saying. See, that's why we do what we do at Family Church. But we don't have to venture into downtown Kansas City at 4 a.m. in the morning because we're surrounded by lonely people all around us. We see them every day. In fact, you might be sitting next to someone right now, here this morning, who thinks that that they're alone. Some of them live across the street from you. you. Some of them work in the same building that you do. Some are standing in front of you at the checkout line in Target or Price Chopper. See, I'm actually old enough to remember Paul McCartney's first band. It was a band called The Beatles. (laughs) One of their early hits was a a song titled Eleanor Rigby. And I don't know much about the song, but for some reason I've always remembered the chorus. And some of you who are old enough to remember, as I start saying it, you're going to know it. It says, all the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people... Where do they all belong? And that line is no less true today than it was back in 1966. You know, just last week I was reading an article on how much loneliness has spiked since the beginning of the pandemic, which that's not surprising with all the, you know, isolation and quarantining and so forth. So that's not surprising. What was surprising to me was the age group that's been impacted most by loneliness, The age group hit hardest by loneliness wasn't the elderly. It's not even single moms. The age group impacted most by loneliness was the young adult. Think about this. The young adult 18 to 25-year-old age group. I mean, that just stunned me. I read that and I thought, really? I mean, if these young, energetic, got their whole life ahead of them, kids are lonely, what hope do I have as a 65-year-old geezer, right? Seriously, every day we're surrounded by people who truly believe that they're alone, living empty and isolated lives, and I believe it's up to the church, it's up to us. Us, it's, that's you and me, to reach out to them and show them that they're not, they're not alone. That's exactly what happened in this story that we're going to look at this morning. It's found in the Gospel of Mark chapter 2. Now, Mark was a a, a follower of Jesus, but he would have been a teenager during the time that Jesus walked on this earth. And uh, when when he ministered in and around Jerusalem, chances are Mark probably would have seen him and heard him on a few occasions. But actually, Mark got most of his information for writing his Gospel from Peter. Yeah, he got it from Peter. After the resurrection, Mark traveled with the Apostle Paul as well as with Peter. And in fact, Mark was Peter's interpreter, both in speech and in writing. So, see, as a fisherman from Galilee, Peter probably didn't speak uh, much Greek or any at all. So, Mark interpreted for him. So, in a sense, you could say that the Gospel of Mark is kind of like Peter's Gospel, because Mark got all of his information about Jesus' life and ministry from, pre- Peter. So, or from, uh, yeah, from Peter. So we're going to start at the end of the chapter, and then I want to kind of go back to the beginning of the chapter, but first let me give you the back story to kind of help bring some context here. Jesus had just healed a guy, and then he had an encounter with a tax collector who, who Luke and Mark identify as Levi, but in Matthew's account of this same story, he says it was him. Matthew says it was him. Matthew. So who was it, Pastor? Was it Matthew or was it Levi? It was both. It was both because they're the same person. see being being uh, being uh, working with the Greeks as a tax collector, Matthew would have to know how to speak that, working with the Romans. But as a Jew collecting from the Jews, he would also ha- know how to speak Hebrew. So Levi was his Hebrew name, and Matthew was his Greek name. So it's the same person, All right? Levi and Matthew are the same person, all right so Jesus has this encounter with Matthew or Levi, and he says, follow me. And then Matthew begins following Jesus. And then shortly afterwards, it says, Jesus went back home to Capernaum. And as was always the case, anytime Jesus stayed somewhere for very long at all, a huge crowd began to gather around him. And that's exactly what happened here in Mark chapter 2. The chapter actually mentions two gatherings. One was in Capernaum at a home where Jesus, it was either Jesus' home or a home that he typically stayed at. And the other gathering was at Levi or Matthew, the tax collector's house. So for context, we're going to look at the second gathering first towards the end of the chapter, and then we'll jump back to the first part of the chapter and look at the other gathering. So Mark chapter 2, and this was at Levi or Matthew's house. Verse 16, And the scribes and Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating, talking about Jesus, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Apparently Jesus overhears the Pharisees asking the disciples this question so he actually responds to the question before the disciples have a chance to. Verse 17, Jesus heard them and answered, people who are well don't need a doctor but only those who are sick. Now watch this next statement by Jesus because this, this would have really thrown them off balance. I have not come to call respectable people but outcasts. <laughs> Literal translation, I didn't come for you guys. Seriously, that's what he was talking. I didn't come for you guys, you self-righteous hypocrites. What an amazing statement by Jesus here. And what an amazing revelation when you think about the implications of that statement. That, that Jesus didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. He didn't come for those who think that they're righteous, he came for those who recognize that they're sinners. The thing is, when you look at the New Testament church today, Honestly, by and large, you don't see this. What you see in much of the New Testament church today are not sick, broken people, but those self-righteous, hypocritical people. It's interesting because, you know, every church says they want to reach the lost. Every church says they want to reach the broken until you start reaching the lost and the broken. Because as we're about to see, when we skip back to the first part of the chapter, sometimes reaching lost and broken people gets a little messy. And always reaching lost and broken people is inconvenient. And we're going to see that in these stories. So uh, Mark chapter 2 verse 1. And when he, talking about Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Verse 3. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. When they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Verse five, and when Jesus saw their faith, that's a huge word, their saw their faith. We're gonna come back to that. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Folks, to reach those no one else is reaching, you need to do what no one else is doing. So real quick, I want, to, I want to look at two things that we need to embrace if we're going to be successful in reaching people no one else is reaching. The first thing is we need to bear one another's burdens. We need to bear one another's burden. But if we really want to reach the lost, we'll need to first of all reach out to them and help them at their point of need. See, that's what Jesus always did. If someone needed healing, he would heal them before he preached the gospel to them. If someone needed food, he would feed them before he preached the gospel to them. Right? And that's exactly kind of what happens here in verse 3. We're told that four guys help bring this guy to Jesus. If we're going to bear one another's burdens, we'll need to be aware of those among us who are burdened, Right? This goes hand in hand with what Kyle talked about last week, how how when we share joy, it's multiplied, but when we share pain, it's divided. That's that bearing one another's burdens, right? That's the dividing of our pain, spreading it out more on the shoulders of all of us to help them carry that burden. We also must be aware of those who are lost in the crowd. You see what's happening in this story. Jesus was preaching in a house. Place was packed. We're told it was packed. We don't know whose house it was. Again, some speculate it was Jesus' house, but that's that's irrelevant. Whose house it was is not the point. The point is, it was full of people who had come to hear Jesus teach. Now, some of them were there to learn more about how to grow closer to God. Some were there out of curiosity because they had heard of all the miracles and uh, healings that Jesus had done. Uh, Some of them were there out of suspicion because they thought, they weren't sure about this Jesus. They, they, they just thought, this guy's kind of weird. I mean, he was doing these amazing things. But they still weren't con- convicted of the fact that he was the Messiah. So you had those. And then, of course, you always had the religious leaders. Who were always a part of that crowd to just make things interesting and stir things up. So Jesus was preaching to a standing room only crowd in this house. No one, no one else was going to fit in that room, we're told. In the house. It was just too packed. And here was this man. This broken, helpless, paralyzed man in need of help, and needing in need of ministry, and apparently no one reco- no one recognized no one was aware of him. Everyone's walking by him to get into this house. got to hurry up and get in there. Can you imagine all the people that passed him wanting to hurry up and get in there and squeeze past people and get up in that room where Jesus was to get a good to get a good view of him as he taught, right? I think somehow this is how the church can be, sadly. Sometimes we come to church and there are those there who no one notices. See, everyone comes to church for their own reasons. Some come to church because it makes them feel good. Some come to church because they like the music. Some come to church because they get to see their friends. Uh, some come to church because they learn something. Some come because they like the preaching because the preaching's the best they've ever heard. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. The point being, people come to church for their own reasons. What we don't want to be guilty of is not helping someone when we had the opportunity to do so. You know, there are people who come to church with a heavy heart or a troubled soul. You know, maybe God wants you to do something about it, to reach out to them. Right? Too many times, far too many times we come to church thinking of only what we can get out of it. We need to be aware of what we can do for others. We need to notice those who, who might be feeling overlooked or feeling hurt or are broken or lonely that's what these four men did they could have liked the rest of the crowd and they could have walked right past this guy they could have looked at him and said hey hey that jesus is over in that house if you can figure out a way to get over there i'll bet he can help you right that's what most of the people did but not these four guys these four guys didn't want to do that Because they weren't like the rest of the crowd. And they weren't willing to let their friend be overlooked. They were willing, listen, they were willing to do what no one else did in order to reach who no one else was reaching. These four guys didn't just say, hey, Jesus is over here. If you can make it over there. No, they said, hey, Jesus is over there. Hold on. Let us carry you over there to him. That's an amazing picture there, folks. For us, what does that mean for us? For us, that means we don't just invite people to church. We go pick them up. We bring them to church. We sit by them, and we take them out for dinner afterwards, don't we? Don't we? All right. That's what that looks like for us. The Bible is very clear about the fact that when we have the ability or power to influence others, we should do so. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it in the sixth chapter of Galatians. Verse 5, he says, for each will have to bear his own load. Then back up in verse 2, he says, "Bear here it is, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then down in verse 10, he says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. What's he saying? He's saying, look, take care of yourself first and then when you can, take care of others. Be aware of the needs around you. I believe with all my heart that we're called to, to help people bear their burdens. And again, I don't know what this is going to look like for you, how it's going to play out in your life, but I do know this. I do know that if you'll ask him, the Lord will show you those around you who are hurting. If you don't recognize him, ask the Lord. He'll show you. Because they're there, people. They're there. You'll see people in your neighborhood. You'll see people at work. Almost, you'll, see pe- you'll see people you don't even like. But then you'll hear that their home is a mess, their marriage is about to blow up, they're starting chemo treatments next week. And when you hear a little bit about their backstory, story, then, then, then you see them through different eyes, don't you? Then you begin to see them with some compassion like Jesus sees them. And God wants us, God wants you to reach out to them and love them into a better place. We don't want, we don't want to just get people to Jesus. Listen to me, we have to to get people to Jesus. We have to get people to Jesus. God's going to call on us to bear some burdens. The second thing is in order to reach those no one else is reaching. Some of you are going to love this. We need to break some rules. Got your attention now, don't I? Any rule breakers out there? Come on. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. But it bounces out our marriage because Sue's a rule keeper. you know. So, so it's all good. Right? Uh, no, I, I'm a, I'm not a rule follower ever since I was a kid. I never waited a half hour after eating before going swimming. Sometimes I ran with scissors in my hand. <laughs> Even today, if the speed limit's 75, I'll set the cruise on 84. Here's why. Here's why. See, you, uh, you, uh, nine miles an hour over, the guardian angels are still there. Once you hit 10 miles an hour over, I'm sorry, the angels are gone. You're on your own at that point, right? <laughs> In this story, we see four guys who broke some rules to do whatever it took to get this guy to Jesus. So verse 4, Mark 2 verse 4, they removed the roof above him and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So since they couldn't get their buddy to Jesus because of the crowd that was in and around the house... Watch this. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus which, you think about this, you know, they would have had to kind of, you know, assess it, go around the windows. Okay, what room is he in? Okay, someone climb up there. Okay, all right, no, two feet over that way, six feet. Seriously, you think about the, the logistics of what they would have had to have done to pull this off. So they figure out how to do it. They climb up there and then they tear a hole in that roof and they lowered him in there. Now, This may appear to be an outrageous thing to do, but it really wasn't quite as destructive as it sounds. Uh, Here's why. Houses in the first century Palestine, they had flat roofs. In fact, oftentimes, roofs were used as kind of a resting place, kind of like a living room. Uh, In the book of Acts, it talks about Peter, after having a meal, going up on the roof and, and resting, and he had that vision. See that, that, so that's kind of, you see that kind of take place there. So roofs were, were kind of like an added room. And, and typically the roof itself consisted of, of wooden cross beams overlaid with the cover of reeds and branches, dried mud, and, are you ready for this? <clears throat> manure. Manure. Now, the manure actually served as fertilizer so the grass would grow to make it softer when they would go up there and lay down and take naps. So, here you got these four guys who are doing what no one else was willing to do in order to reach this guy that no one else was reaching. Somehow, they carry him up on the roof above the room where Jesus was teaching and proceed to dig a hole in the roof to let this guy down. Now, I want you to remember one of the things that the roof was made of, manure. In other words, watch this, sometimes you have to dig through a little (laughs) crap to get somebody to Jesus. But picture this. Jesus is teaching in this room. And all of a sudden, they hear some commotion coming from the roof. Then some debris starts falling down in the, inside the house. And a few seconds later, there's some sunlight shining through. You know, as there's a big open hole. And I'm thinking about this time. The, the owner of the house is thinking, I wonder if my homeowner's insurance <laughs> covers this. Once the hole is wide enough, these four guys begin lowering this man down into the house. Now, we're not told exactly how he did it, how, how they did it. If, if they had ropes and they, and they kind of, if, if, if one got on each hand and one on each foot and they, they lowered him down as far as they could and then okay, on three, one, two, three, drop. <laughs> I mean, he was already paralyzed. It's not like they're going to paralyze him again, right? But again, we don't, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say, we don't know how it happened, but somehow they dropped him down in there. The point being, these guys are not letting obstacles stop them from bringing this guy to Jesus. They were willing to bust through barriers, break rules, dig through some crap, do whatever it took to get this guy to Jesus. And think about this. This would have taken teamwork. They each would have had to have worked in unison to lower this guy down into Jesus. Look look at verse 5 again. And when Jesus saw, there's that word again, Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, son, your sons are forgiven. See that? They were working together as a team, which proves that four kind still beats a full house every time. Come on, that's funny. You can go ahead and laugh, all right? It's no different here on Sunday mornings. Like what Kyle said last week, that's the power of authentic relationships, working together in unison as a team. At Family Church, we call these dream teams. We call them the, you know, the, 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 the different leadership teams that work together to, to do what we pull off here on Sunday mornings. And each Sunday morning, that is the goal of our dream team helpers and workers and leaders, to work together in unison to bring people who are broken or far from God to Jesus. And please note in verse 5, it, it talks exactly about that. See, That's why we're going to do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ. But here's the key. Again, the key to reach people no one are reaching is doing what no one else is doing. See, we're going to have to do some things that maybe normal churches don't do, and we're going to have to do them all the time. That's why we need to stop going to church and start being the church. When we recognize that Jesus didn't come for the healthy, but he came for the sick, and that we're all sick, this is a big party, (laughs) we're all sick, and we all need his grace, when we recognize who he is and what he's done, our only reasonable response is to give him our whole life and do whatever we can to lead other people who are broken and lost and lonely to Jesus. I want our church to be a church that doesn't judge those who are without Christ, but loves them into a relationship and knowing the grace of Jesus. I want us to be a church that will, that will bear some burdens and, and get messy and dirty if necessary to help people find their way back home. I want our church to break some rules if necessary, get our hands dirty, digging through any of the religious crap that sometimes comes our way in reaching the lost. Because we're a church full of people who know what it means to be lonely, who know what it means to be sick, but also who know what it means to be healed. And one last thing, as I thought about this story, these four guys who um, did what no one else was doing to reach who no one else was reaching, by bringing this paralyzed man to Jesus, you know, how much you want to bet that those four guys got criticized for that? What in the world are those guys doing? I mean, they're tearing up a perfectly good roof. What what, what in the world are they doing? I shared this in the first service, and Dennis was here, but that's one reason why I'm so impressed by Dennis Kickler and what he does in our community as far as reaching the young people. Now, don't get me wrong. Hey, I, I love young and free. Seth and Gage are my boys, and they're killing it. They are. They're killing it with young and free. But they're young. <laughs> they're like in their 20s. Dennis is an old fat geezer like me. And yet, he still opens up his house four or five, six times a week, buys them food, feeds these kids. That age group, 18, those, that age group that's been impacted the most by loneliness because of the pandemic. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Because to reach who no one else is reaching, you have to do what no one else is doing. And you know what? For that, he's been criticized. I know he has. We've talked about it. Just like people are criticizing us for this at the movies thing. Oh, ah, yeah, at the movie. That's a that's them seeker churches marketing the gospel. Yada yada yada. So you know what? I tell these people that criticize this. This is. I ask them a question, and it's a fair question. People that criticize what we're doing, I say. Uh, so what are you doing to reach the lost? Well, we have a Bible study. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That, that's not going to reach people who are far from God. It might, maybe, but typically that's not going to reach people who are far from God. No. People who are far from God aren't going to show up at your Bible study or Sunday school class. So what are you going to do to reach the lost? Because if you can't answer that question, then I like what we're doing to reach the lost more than I don't like what you're doing to not reach the lost. I like what Dennis is doing to reach those young people more than what you're not doing to reach those young people. Didn't know your pastor could be a little sassy, did you? <laughs> I'm serious. People that criticize us for just trying to reach lost people. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? If you're not leaving the 99 and going to look for the one, if you're not anticipating the prodigals to come home, every Sunday morning and stand out there and smile and wave at them and greet them when they come up to that door and hug them the way they are and don't you don't make them have to change before they come in there. No, you love them the way they are just like the prodigal when he came home, the father embraced him, hugged him. Straight out of the pig pen. Straight out of the pig pen, the father embraced him and loved him. And if you're not doing that, I'm sorry. I like what we're doing to reach the lost more than I don't like what you're doing not reaching the lost. So what are we? We are a faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers who will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. We are not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors who recognize that the church does not exist for us, but we are the church and we exist for the world. We will pursue authentic relationships knowing that when you share joy it's multiplied and when you share pain it's divided. And and, we will do anything short of sin to reach the people who don't know Christ. Why? Because to reach the people no one is reaching you're going to have to do what no one else is doing. Bow your heads would you? Father, I do pray that your spirit would do a work in our church, in our hearts, in our lives, that that we would be lit on fire with the love for people who are far from God, not with a judgmental attitude, but but with a heart that breaks and recognizes that, that Jesus came for sinners, and we're all sinners, and we're all in need of his grace. I pray that you would give us all a greater love for the lost. And as tough as a prayer as this might be, I pray that you would break our heart with the things that break your heart. Give us a greater burden, a greater passion for, a greater love for those who are far from you, God. I pray for those who have given up on somebody they love. They think their dad could never come to faith. They think their best friend could never come to Christ. They think their children will never come back to Christ. God, I pray that you would have those people look to you with big faith, and as they do, that you would answer that heart's cry. Again, give us a heart that breaks for those who are far from God, recognizing that Jesus didn't come for the healthy, but he came for the sick. While your hearts and heads are bowed, I want to pray for anyone here. You're not right with God. You know, maybe the weight of your sin is so great that you just don't think there's any way that God could receive you or forgive you. And look, I know that weight's real. It's real. I was there. And you're thinking, how could I ever be forgiven? How how could I ever be good enough? And some of you might be feeling that right now. And your past is kind of holding you back, drawing you back, and you feel like you're stuck and there's this, there's this war going on, and you want to break free, but you don't know how. I'm telling you, that's why you're here today. That's exactly why you're here today, because Jesus came for you. He came for sinners, he came for sick people. You don't have to be perfect to come to him. You come to him as you are. Levi, the tax collector, came as he was. Jesus loved prostitutes. He loved the sinners. He even loved the notorious sinners. He loved the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low. He loved all those that religion rejected. And when they came to him, he accepted them as they were. And they were transformed by his love and set free from their sin. And he can do the same thing for you if you'll just give him a chance. If that's you, it would be my honor to pray for you and lead you in a prayer that would bring you into a personal relationship with the God who created you and has a plan and purpose for your life. If you would just pray the simple prayer to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he he died for me, and that you, Father God, raised him from the dead three days later. So I now surrender my life to him I give my life to you now, Lord. And in return, I take your life. Thank you for dying for me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live my life for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.